Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Yeah! Well, EJ, this has been uh, one of the, the longest days in bears history and it's still not over we are finally getting to record this show at 2:42 in the afternoon pacific time um fully aware that it's gonna be probably outdated by the time this episode goes live but we're gonna do our best to uh to, to power through and to preview five really good games that we got coming up on sunday uh with as much information that will not be outdated by Fridays. So we could possibly cobble together a bunch of uh, schematic info, um, you know, after having a chance to, to go through and watch tape from last week's game, you know, what lessons can we learn from those and carry it forward into the individual matchups in week three. So uh, we have a lot to talk about today, and I'm sure you will have even more to talk about on Bears Over Beers tonight. Uh, by the way, we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, with that, how you doing, man? You're going to need a couple of those. <laughs> One advantage to recording in the afternoon. <laughs> Not drinking coffee. Man, is this kind of day... I don't care if we were recording at 10. Yeah. You would have had my permission to crack one. Oh, you're assuming that this is my first? <laughs> I mean, we started, I think, with the Braxton Jones stuff, and then we got to the Justin Fields stuff, and then everything after that, which is still unresolved. I mean... It's been a day over in Hallis Hall, and not a good one. But nope. uh, luckily, we're not talking about the Bears on this show because we are actively choosing not to talk about the Bears on this show. We'll pick up their story next week once we figure out what the fuck is going on over there. We have much more entertaining teams, <laughs> much more hopeful teams to talk about today, uh, starting with our first matchup, Falcons-Lions. What's your, your top-level view of this game? Really interesting game. The reason we're leading off with it is because there are fun storylines on both sides, and they're they're not the same. They're really coming. These are two teams coming at this game from very different angles. Usually, when we talk about triplets on an offense, we're talking about a quarterback, the top wide receiver, and the running back. Well, you know, or these days, a quarterback and the two top wide receivers. 
Falcons right now have a big three, but it's not exactly that. Uh, the <laughs> offense is operating in some ways, uh, in some ways in spite of Desmond Ritter, not because of him. So that takes him out of the equation. Number one, you can't go anywhere near the Falcons without talking about Bijan as a running back. 29 for 180 at 6.2 per. Anytime a college player, no matter how heralded, comes into the NFL and basically keeps producing at exactly the same level they did in college, that is one-tenth of a yard greater than his college senior average or final college season average, that's amazing. And that's what we said about Bijan. He's amazing. He's all those things. That's what we said throughout all of draft season. He's that good. He's all the heraldry is correct. <laughs> he he deserves it all. And he's shown that without a doubt, that's very true. The second part of the quote unquote big three for the Falcons is Tyler Algier at, at running back. <laughs> 31 carries, 123 yards and two touchdowns. So that's two running backs out of three as the big three. And the third one is Bijan at receiver. (laughs) It's 10 catches and a TD leads the team in catches, not in touchdowns. But your big three is Bijan, Tyler Algier as a runner, and Bijan as a receiver. It's a bit odd, but they're making it work. And Arthur Smith has experience with obviously featuring his running backs. He got hired off the effort that he put together at Tennessee. He understands this. Sprinkle in some Mac Hollins, six catches for at 15.2 per as their sort of big play threat right now. Drake London, you know, they drafted him to be the number one wide receiver. I think he's shown some flashes of that, but again, he's not getting a ton of targets. Uh, and of course, a traditionally meager Atlanta helping of Kyle Pitts, two catches per game. And you've got a very interesting, if non-traditional NFL offense, and that leads them into a game against a team with a I would say more traditional and very powerful NFL offense. Uh, interesting stat, which something I'm going to be tracking from week to week is is how long is this true? Um, <laughs> so Bijan individually has outrushed the entirety of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams. Algier individually himself has also outrushed the three teams at the bottom: the Raiders, Steelers, and Vikings. So I want to see how long it takes those three NFL teams at the bottom to catch up (laughs) to the Falcons backup running back and then to catch up to the Falcons starting running back. That's not even like total yards. That's just rushing. Um, It's it's ridiculous. Like we knew going into this year, the Falcons run game was going to be sexy. They're already exceeding even my very lofty expectations. Uh, it, it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch. You know, from a, a schematic perspective, I am very curious how this game is going to go against Detroit. Um, you know, they're a 54% outside zone team, which is kind of in line with what they were last year. First in the NFL by a long shot. They run outside zone, and then they run it again, and then they run it again. Um, and their most common personnel groupings are 12 personnel 20 personnel, which is two backs, no tight ends, and then 21 personnel, which is two backs, one tight end. So a lot of big bodies on the field, uh, again, that they love to run outside zone with. Then you get some guys who are both tight ends and fullbacks. It's kind of a weird mix, Um, (laughs) regardless. The Lions, against those personnel groupings, play cover two almost 37% of the time. It's like 36.5% of the time, uh, which is most in the NFL. It's possible that they do that because their first two games were against the Chiefs and 
the Seahawks, who have all sorts of firepower throwing the ball, regardless of who's on the field. Um, I, I am curious if they will keep calling cover two against those personnel groupings, knowing that Atlanta probably ain't throwing that ball when they line up that way. Uh, and also they've allowed about four and a half or four, no, not four and a half, 4.8 yards per carry against outside zone from those personnel groupings so far this year. So we haven't really seen the Lions have to deal with this type of offense yet. So I don't know how they're going to do. Um, and that's part of what intrigues me about this is we're finally getting to see the Falcons play against a defense like the Lions, structurally speaking, and we're finally getting to see the Lions play against an offense like the Falcons. And this is like a very unique test for both of them. Um, and if I had to guess, probably I would lean towards the Falcons, you know, kind of winning that, that battle in the trenches, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend like the Lions couldn't stuff them up and force them to go into their offhand. And, you know, once you do force the Falcons to, to become a passing team, we know they're very beatable. So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to on that side of the ball is, is who actually wins this matchup between two styles that haven't seen each other yet this year. Lions defense is going to be interesting. The offense, as we know, we talk about Ben Johnson all the time and the fact that they're racking up points and they picked right up where they left off that doing last year. The scoring defense needs to take a step up. It's going to be tougher to do. They got CJ Gardner, Johnson and James Houston going on IR, which is not great for them. Houston had their highest pass rush rate uh, pressure rate from from a pass rusher they have several defensive backs with less pass rushes that have a higher rate but in terms of guys that rush the passer more regularly Houston had their highest rate even higher than Hutchinson so he's going to be missed Hutchinson's getting good pressure um, but through two games this team doesn't have more explosives on defense it only has one sack and one INT and both of those numbers go up and one of the primary INT threats and one of the primary sack threats go out of the lineup. It's going to be tough for other guys are going to step up. You talked about some of the defensive alignments they're going to come out with. Going to be a big week for Brian Branch. Um, Jack Campbell's going to have to have a very good week down the middle if they do choose to play cover two, both against the run and the pass. We're going to see some running backs get out in routes in the middle. That's going to be Campbell's job. I think he's a better player against the pass than a lot of people gave him credit for. But look, Bijan's a test for anybody. And it is going to be a really interesting sort of contrasting style, you know, clash. Goffs look really comfortable. Lions receiving threats lack speed. I said this and a bunch of Lions fans were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, come on now. Goff's doing a great job and he's dealing, but like Josh Reynolds looks like he's running with a piano on his back. They need Jameson Williams back really badly in terms of speed. But in the meantime, a bunch of those targets are going to Sam Laporta. We talked about Kyle Pitts at the top, only getting you know, two, two catches a game. Laporta has 10 right now. And he is being, he is becoming a big part of that offense, partially because of the absence of Jameson Williams, but also because look, Goff likes to hit tight ends. He did in LA, he does here. And that's something to watch in terms of how the Falcons defense is going to deal with those secondary threats in the passing game. So a lot of interesting matchups on both sides. It's that you know, it's the chess match stuff that we love to look at and say, okay, we know how this is going to line up. We think we know how they're going to cover it. Who's going to win? Uh, on the Lions offense side of things, these are just a couple more numbers that I pulled, um, by the way. They spend the vast majority of their time in 11 personnel because they're the Lions. That's what they do. But they have a very diverse run game 
from 11 personnel. They're like the anti-Falcons in terms of how their, their run game is designed. There's outside zone, there's duo, there's trap, G lead, power. Those are all called roughly the same percentages. It's not just we're calling outside zone more than half the time and then, oh, maybe we got some inside zone here too. Like, no, they 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 call everything. Uh, ironically, except inside zone. They've only had two of those the entire year out of 11 personnel. So it is uh, it is kind of a hard run game to prepare for because you're not entirely sure what you're going to get, and they do that on purpose. So again, very unique and interesting challenge for the Falcons defense here. Um, in terms of run-pass splits, they are 37% pass on first down, so it's a very run-heavy team. Uh, was it 50? No, 63%? Is it, did I do my math correctly? 63% run. Uh, on early downs, even from 11 personnel. But then you get into second down, and they're 71% uh, pass, specifically, especially second and long. Uh, so they only really run it on second down if it's short yardage because they just want to pick up a new first down, get a fresh set, and then keep it rolling. Um, but if if it's second and medium or longer, then obviously on third down, it's throw, 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 which heavily contributes to why they're a 55% pass team. So schematically speaking for Atlanta, in terms of how I expect them to try to handle a very diverse run game is just with bodies, a lot of bodies until they can figure out exactly what they're trying to call and when. So that means cover three on early downs, um, you know, staying disciplined in the run game in terms of getting a body for every single gap, plugging it up because you know they're a run heavy team, even at 11 personnel, get them into second and long or second and medium knowing that a pass is very certainly going to be coming. And then you can branch out and go into all the too high uh, stuff they like to do with cover two quarters and quarter, quarter half, because uh, Atlanta does like to do that a lot so far this year. So that's how I, I kind of feel the cadence of this game going is stack the box on early downs, expand out on second, uh, second and long. And then there'll be very situational calls depending on if third down is third and short versus third and medium versus third and long. We know that they like to bring pressure in third and medium. So it'll be kind of interesting to see that back and forth. Um, I think really this game for both teams will be won or lost on first down. How well do the Falcons just pound away with outside zone and you know pick up five yards of carry and stay on schedule versus how well do the Lions avoid going into second and very long situations where they got to throw against uh, you know that pass rush well <laughs> some of those pass rushers Aiden right. and, and a bunch of dudes right yeah. you don't want to throw against Aiden on second and nine too often because he will get yeah. you um, but again, I think first down for both teams are, is, is going to be an extremely important situation for them. Yeah, I would agree. And I, it's really interesting to me to see who gets out to a lead in this one. Cause I don't feel like, I feel like a Falcons are a powerful offense, but I don't feel like they're a quick strike offense right now because they don't have those weapons clicking besides Matt Collins and even Matt Collins, if you're looking at his, you know, yards per catch average, 15.2, it's, it's the biggest on the Falcons. That's, you know, you look at other receivers around the league who are deep strike guys are 19.7, you know, 18.9. So they're not throwing it to them that often. And if they're forced to do that from behind, I feel like the lions have the dudes to say, okay, fine. We'll keep, we'll keep a lid on, we'll keep a lid on Mac. Now what? Interesting matchup. Uh, if you, 
in your gut had to pick a winner in it, who would you go with? Uh, I, without the sort of guys going on IR, I would have picked Lions all the way, like straight green lights. That's probably the opening for the Falcons, so I'd lean probably 70% Lions in this one. They've been playing really well. They have to be really disciplined. Look, Bijan can has proved that he can be a quick strike weapon in the pass game or the run game on any play, literally any play. You can have three guys stacked up in his path, and he'll juke all three of them. And then he is just gone because he's fast enough. So they're going to have to be really disciplined, but they've been that so far. They've been physical and disciplined on defense. I'll, I'll lean Lions in this one, but not as heavily as I would have if uh, Chelsea Gardner-Johnson and, and Houston were still on the field for them. Uh, building out an underdog slip, by the way, with all these games, uh, Bijan's rushing number in this game, I still feel like is is lower than it should be. Even with all of the hype that Bijan's gotten, I still feel like they're not they're not quite pricing him accordingly. Um, he's at 70 and a half rushing, which again, against a defense that has played two high safety structures against the most common personnel groupings that Atlanta runs out. I, it doesn't seem, it, that seems just a little risky to, or not risky. Uh, it seems a little generous, conservative, conservative. I, I don't know what conservative the conservative word is. So you think Bijan's going to go over that? Oh, I'm smashing over. Yeah, so you're, it's a conservative line at that point. I would I would say yeah, seventy and a half, because he can pot he can get twenty on any carry. Like, you know, he can get sixty on a lot of carries, but he can get twenty on literally any carry, no matter how well you defense it. And that's why he's special. We saw the run last week with the three cutbacks. That's been played over and over again. You know, and it's that is a that is a serious threat. That is the thing that kind of. That is the kind of thing that keeps defensive coordinators up at night. Like, I had three guys in that line, right? I had three guys in the path of that run, and he took all three of them to the cleaners. Like, what are you going to do? That's why they took him top 10. That's you right. Know, what's, what's the old rule? Don't take running backs in the top 10 unless they're Bijan Robinson. He's the That's exception. the new rule, but <laughs> That's the new rule. Yeah. One quick note, and then we'll get right back to the show. We are finally starting the fall season officially which means lots of family events are coming up and holidays and football Sundays with friends. And if you want to look good and clean and tidy when you go to all these different events, that's where Manscaped comes in. If you don't own many grooming products or even any grooming products, but you want to take care of yourself, you want to look good, Manscaped has everything you need. You don't need to go out and start shopping for individual products and put together a list. They have everything you could ever need all in one place, and it is the easiest thing ever. Their flagship products, of course, the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer with ceramic blades and skin safe technology to kind of reduce nicks and cuts. There's a 7,000 RPM motor, an LED spotlight, and it's waterproof. There's also the Weed Whacker for ear and nose hair trimming, also with skin safe technology and an even more powerful motor. And they also have a brand new product now as well, the Handyman, which is a compact face shaver. It's got a unique dual blade system for quick close shaves. And it has a standard foil shaver as well as a long hair leveler blade to kind of knock down up to three days worth of growth. Plus, it's also waterproof as well and has up to 60 minutes of runtime on a single charge. So between all these different shaver options, plus everything else that Manscaped has to offer because they carry literally every male grooming product you can think of, 
I encourage you to check out their website at manscaped.com. And if you like anything in the entire catalog at all and you want to check it out, you can get 20% off plus free shipping with code bootleg at manscaped.com. Again, that is 20% off plus free shipping with promo code bootleg at manscaped.com. Thank you to Manscaped for partnering with us once again. And with that, let's get back to the show. Uh, all right, let's get to Bill's Commanders. Another just fascinating matchup. And we were even kind of looking at it in the offseason of like, that's kind of like a sneaky, fun game. And it's still a sneaky, fun game. You know, Commanders are 2-0. and Hasn't looked pretty the entire time. There's There's been streakiness, especially on offense. There's been streakiness. But they're still 2-0. and They survived the first couple of weeks. They're going up against a Bills team that itself has been streaky, or at least their quarterback has been streaky. So I, there is kind of an air of mystery about this game in terms of like which commanders are we going to get and which Josh Allen are we going to get. But if we are getting the commanders offense at their best versus Josh Allen and the Bills offense at their best, I don't even care what the over-under on this game is. I'm taking the over. Going to be a fun game. And like you said, we sort of semi-circled it in the offseason as, hey, that that's a potentially interesting game. Now it's even more interesting. I called out Howell's absolute laser of a TD to McLaurin in our Monday recap pod. After going back and watching the end zone view of that throw, it's even more ridiculous. Like, it's just a preposterous throw. If you haven't looked at this toss, you need to. To even consider letting that ball go, given the coverage and the distance, is, I would say, audacious. Bold. To actually complete it in the window he did is ridiculous. It's a top five throw of the season so far, and there have already been a lot of throws that are really good. That is easily a top five throw of the season. You can sort of start to feel the mind meld in Washington between Howell and EB sort of growing. They're starting to trust each other, and you laid it out at the top that it's been a little bit streaky. They're still having those misfires, but they're starting to go, okay, yeah, I see what you saw there, and it just feels like the enemy's letting him off the chain a little bit more. I trust you. You understand. You're seeing it the same way I am. And if that comfort really starts to hook that trust, it's going to be very dangerous for other teams down the stretch because Howell has the arm to make a defense truly defend every blade of grass. He can let everything go. He proved that with that throw to McLaurin. And don't think that defensive coordinators around the league didn't see that and go, oh, geez, like two steps off at 30 yards deep is one step too many. He can still hit that throw. So the Bills' very talented secondary may bring them back to earth, may sort of reset this somewhat explosive, if sporadic, commander's offense. Uh, But it's a great early season test for the commanders to see what they really have to go up against a secondary that is very, very good and see if they have the chops to keep with them. Brian Robinson Jr. is going to have to have another strong all-around game if the commanders are going to stay with the Bills. He, We talked about this in the recap pod that he was good on the ground. He was good in the receiving game. He was great pass blocking. And that's kind of why he was drafted is because he was good at all of those things. And he's going to need to continue to be good at all of those things. Um, The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.
And in terms of the offensive line, Morgan Moses is playing the lights out. If you haven't been paying attention or you don't watch offensive line play, Morgan Moses so far this season in two games is beating people up. He looks great again. But the rest of the offensive line isn't really good enough to hold up against the Bills' pass rush all day. So Howell's going to need some support. EB is going to have to have some great hot routes on tap for him. He's going to have to have a lot of answers. Howell's got great escape abilities, very strong. He's hard to bring down in the pocket, but the Bills have a lot of things to throw at him. So it's going to be one of those games where he played against a ton of pressure last week and looked really good. I think the pressure packages coming at him are going to be even better this week. So they're going to have to have even more answers. They're going to have to have gone back to the film and say, well, we saw that against a team that can bring some pressure. We're going up against the Bills. We got to have better answers. But it's going to be really interesting to see that particular matchup. I just, I, I really want to see the commander's offense play more than a half of football the way that we know they can. Yep. You know, and, and it, it was just, it was frustrating because going back to the all 22 of last week, it, just how discombobulated the entire offense looked at times. You know, you had uh, guys sliding the wrong way in protections or at least we think sliding the wrong way in protections. We don't know how exactly it was called, but I'm pretty sure that it's not designed to just have a three technique run through, right? Yeah, uh, somebody so, blew it. So, somebody don't know blew who. it. <laughs> you know, you had you had receivers ending up in, uh, ending up in the exact same part of the field, you know, 25 yards down the field, but they're five yards apart running the exact same route. And we're like, one of you guys is running the wrong thing. Um, you know, Howell, for the most part, saw the field very well, but there were still a couple where I was like, God, you know, he's going to want that one back. And it just felt like, other than Brian Robinson, everybody just it was rusty and not not quite in midseason form. And they're still putting up points. So what happens when they're actually at their best? You know, and I and I I hope that we get to see that sooner rather than later, uh, because in the few flashes that we've gotten of that, where Howe's dealing. He's throwing darts. You know, Dotson's getting open at will. Terry, apparently his toe is just fine because he looks totally normal. And and especially... Totally? God damn it. That was not on purpose. <laughs> that was not on purpose. Uh, but, like, how, like... Man, his balls... His balls... His, and I'm uh, the one who's drinking beer. Just let's keep that in mind. I was going to say his balls were aesthetically pleasing, but that's even worse. (laughs) I swear I haven't drank anything today. It's just, it's been that kind of Wednesday. You need need to at this point. You got to get, anyways, I'm not even going to, not even going to make that. I'll just say his passes were aesthetically pleasing. Like there's just, there's no wobble on it. It's just a freaking laser beam. Um, and, And the fact that, you know, and, and I will fully admit, I didn't know how to evaluate him when he was coming to North Carolina, because you had one year that looked entirely different than the other year, like not just in terms of support structure and weapons, but in terms of like offensive structure, it was like his last year, I, I, I didn't know how to evaluate it. Like it was so not translatable to the NFL. And so I was like, I don't know what to do with this. All I know is he throws a pretty ball. He does throw a pretty ball. And that's, that's carried forward to the NFL. But for him, and you are a Howell guy, full credit to you, for him to be a fifth-round pick and look like this and look a lot better than a lot of quarterbacks that have gone ahead of him uh, is a testament to how sometimes organizations just get lucky because they it feels like they just got gifted a starting quarterback, maybe not like a super high-end starting quarterback, but a starting quarterback in the fifth round. And that's that's something that you, you just you, – you can barely dream of that 
let alone hope for it. Yeah, you don't see it very often. And for me, it was really about sort of ordering off the, you know, the lunch menu, one from column A, one from column B. I'm like, well, we saw that he could throw two years ago. And we absolutely saw that he could run at a super high level at, at not just a, oh, he's a scrambler. No, he can go make yards with his legs. He runs like a bull in a china shop and he's got more wiggle and escapability to him than people give him credit for. So I'm like, checks the passing boxes. Yes. Checks the running boxes. Yes. He's done both. That gives him, you know, the, the running and escapability is important for any young quarterback because when things break down, that's what they're going to go to until they can start sort of fully manifesting all their skills in the pass game. And that doesn't happen right away. Like you said, there's still plays where he misses open receivers. There's still throws that, you know, a little bit late, you know, when he's on time and sometimes even when he's late, he still gets it in there because he's got a gun for an arm. But yeah, you want to see those things start to come together. And we've seen flashes and I think we've seen enough flashes that I really do feel like the arrow's pointing up and they are going to continue to improve. We'll see how much and how fast, but I'm really excited. I was excited in the offseason about this team. I'm still excited about this team. It's going to be fun to watch them take on these tests each week, and the Bills are a big one for them. On the Bills' side, their offensive line has been playing better than the Commanders, but they're going to need to keep that up because the Commanders' defensive line is no joke. That's mm-hmm. that's four killers, and they're going to they're going to beat you up. They are incredibly rugged and strong. Um, they're just going to hammer your best laid plans into dust if you let them. So don't give them any openings. If that happens, Josh could be running away from, and if he's not careful into a lot of hits, you don't want to see that. If they start giving up points to that commander's offense pretty quickly, they could start having to play catch up. That could force Josh into his hero ball mode. Nobody wants to see that right now because we saw a little bit of it in week one and it wasn't pretty. Uh, we think it'll probably be better, but that's not where any, I think, Bill's staffer, Bill's fan wants Josh to be playing right now. They'd rather, you know, be keeping it even, keeping him upright, having him play on schedule, stay ahead of the sticks. That's the that's the good Josh that we all want to see. And if they get behind and they have to try and play catch up, it's going to be very hard for him to not sort of cape up and go, no, no, I got this. I can do it all. And I think that's when probably Bill's fans are going to start holding their breath a little bit. So the way that happens is Ken Dorsey uh, is probably going to look for some mismatches. And if I was him, I would be looking at Cook, the running back, and both tight ends in the middle of the field versus Cody Barton. Like, that's a matchup I like. Any any of those three players from the Bills versus Barton in space, like, I'm, I'm cool with that. And it gives Josh that sort of underneath, move the sticks, just hit it, it's open sort of route. I think he's going to draw some of those up, he being Dorsey. And I hope that Josh sees him and hits him and they stay on schedule because that's a better outcome for the Bills. In terms of uh, schematic information and, like, run pass rates and everything like that, um, which, again, these are – smaller sample sizes because it's the first two weeks of the season but it's it's all we have to go on as of right now um but the bills are overall on the year 60 percent pass on first down just last week they balanced up a little bit because they i feel like they wanted to rein in josh and so they went down to a 51 percent pass rate again you compare that to uh the lions who we just talked about the last game they were like 63 percent run so you know by by lion standards, the Bills are positively still pass happy, even compared to last week. Um, what I found interesting, though, was on uh, second and medium, uh, or or obviously second and short, but even on second and medium, there was still 83% run after 
a successful first down, which is, that is high relative to the rest of the NFL and certainly relative to what we expect from the Bills. And so I feel like um, they were trying to take the ball out of Josh's hands and make every third down be like third and two, third and three, right? Uh, Or as many as they could to, to almost like artificially rein him in and make it so that every play wasn't like it was the last play of the Super Bowl. Like, you know, in the first week, he was he was jumping over dudes like eight yards away from the marker. And it's like, Josh, it's week one. Calm down. And then, you know, throwing the bad picks and everything. I feel like week two was, was kind of giving him some medicine of like, calm down, dude. We have the rest so, of the team so. to get some yards. We're going to run the ball. Uh, and speaking of the run, by the way, Buffalo has been very duo-heavy. So far this year, man blocking heavy uh, for those who want to not get super granular with it. Um, They call that on nearly a third of their runs, man blocking on nearly a third of their runs. Washington has only seen duo twice the entire year in the first two games, I should say. (laughs) It's not the entire year. First two games have only seen it (laughs) twice. So there's not really enough data to know how this is going to go if Buffalo attacks them with a lot more duo than they've seen thus far. Uh, That being said, the two that they've gotten, they allowed two yards per carry because both their defensive tackles are aliens and and can't really be moved anyway. Um, So what I'm curious is if Buffalo can't move these guys, do they then resort to calling more gap scheme stuff, you know, calling power, calling counter, calling G lead and just running around them by creating a wall and saying, we're not going to go to you. We're going to create a seam somewhere else. Um, that's something that we, we don't really know until we see how this game plays out. Right. Just cause we, we, we have very limited data here, but I will say that they're going to try. They're certainly going to try cause they do not repeat, do not want to, have a similar cadence to week one where they come out throwing. And then if there's like one incompletion on first and 10, Josh goes, it's okay, guys, I got this. I can fix this. (laughs) No, don't do it. Josh back away slowly. Uh, I think most of Buffalo feels that way because they are, you know, uh, I would say rightfully gun shy after week one because he threw up one arm punt and they were like, oh, OK, he's just getting it out of system. And he threw another one and they were like, oh, hey, I thought we were past this. And they threw another one and they were like, whoa, what's going on? Like what happened over the summer? So I understand their their hesitancy. It's going to be a big week for Osiris Torrance. Like Osiris yes. Torrance was yes. drafted to be a power cog on the inside of that buffalo line that is a large part of why they took him where they took him and this is the you know literally the biggest early test he's going to be staring down you know two werewolves trying to move him on any given play and i'm i can't wait to watch that particular film like i want to see i want to see if he wins any like i don't expect him to win many just because he's going up against two of the literal best in the entire league if he wins like 30%. Like if he wins one out of five, I'm going to be like, okay, that's potential because not a lot of people win against those guys in those situations. So um, really good early test for, for line watchers in this one. I just get visions of, you know, early to mid two thousands, you know, you're sitting on the couch playing Xbox, playing Halo, 
then on the screen pops up current objective survive like that's that is torrents this week yeah. just everybody's fucking survive coming. dude <laughs> everybody's coming for you everybody knows they've got a you can tell they've got a you know an axe over his picture in the locker room they want to they want everybody wants to go after a rookie, and they know he's a good player. They know that you know he has pedigree, but that that doesn't matter. Like in the league, you got to hold up, and this is a put up or shut up week for Osiris Torrance. And I think by the end of the game, it's going to be pretty clear what happened. Like, hey, it was it was a draw. Hey, somebody got their ass kicked. You know, it it's going to be very apparent, and that's what the NFL is really good for. Like, the film is the film, right? One last note um, on Jahan Dotson. It didn't get as involved uh, after the first quarter as I as I hoped he would. He had four targets in the first quarter last week, and then one I think combined in the entire rest of the game. And a lot of it was like uh, you know hitches and and uh, little speed outs and everything like that. They they didn't other than like one catch. They didn't really get him involved down the field. And even then, he was like the mid level option on flood. They weren't really getting him involved deep down the field, even though we know how obviously he can throw it deep down the field. And uh, I, I I feel like maybe there were some missed opportunities there to really take the Ferrari out for a spin, you know. <laughs> um, and they are going to get some opportunities this week too. So I would love to see them establish the tone early on of like, hey, we're going to test you guys down the field. Because the Bills are 37% in quarters on first down, which means there is no safety help in the middle of the field. Well, against a lot of concepts, there's no safety help in the middle of the field. You have to occupy them, obviously, with like either deep curls or overs or something like that. But it's very easy to create a one-on-one opportunity where it's Jahan Dotson against like an outside leverage corner on a deep post, right? You just got to call it. Uh, like what we saw the the Giants did last week. They came out, first play of third quarter. They said, Jalen, go get him. Run. <laughs> yeah. Go run. Like that's what I want them to do with Jahan Dotson too. Um, and then on second down, by the way, they are cover one. 43% of the time on second down. So even if he's just going to be stuck in the slot, you want to run option routes, do it on second round or second down, excuse me. Yeah. So there are opportunities for Jahan Dotson in this game, which is why this number is kind of insulting to me. Uh, that's why <laughs> I took higher 43 and a half. Can you fucking believe that EJ? I can. He can get that in three catches, but you got to get him the three catches, right? He can get that in one catch. He can. He hasn't typically, but I would say that's about three catches for him, which is where the line setters are looking at and going, that's about as many times as they're featuring him. So a safe line is, what's his average catch? Three catches. It's about there. That's how they set that line. Now, is he capable of cracking it wide open? Yeah, Howell can throw it and he can run it. We know they got to call it, right? They, Like you said, you just have to call it. If they call it, it's very possible. But they haven't called it to this point. So it would be a breaking out. Again, it gets to very good secondary. I see that as sort of an insulating line. Like, not necessarily insulting, just a, like, hey, it's a good secondary. And the commanders haven't pushed the issue this feels better than, you know, if they set that line at 60, everybody probably takes the under. Very few chances to get burned. They set it at 40. They get action on both sides. Well, I smashed the higher on it just because against this this type of defense, he's going to get chances. The, the question is, will Howell give him the ball? Will protection hold up long enough? Will he catch it? Like all, all the ancillary stuff. But like schematically speaking, opportunities should be there. 
So I'm, I'm willing to take higher on that just based on opportunities. I'm on just paper. pleased you didn't bet on Khalil Shakir again. <laughs> Never again, EJ. Never <laughs> again. Uh, all right. Saints-Packers. Could we just start with, oh, my God, Chris Olave? Yeah, we should, in fact. <laughs> that's, that's what I wrote up. Chris Olave is a damn stud. Like, every single week, he just keeps making plays. He made a lot of plays last year, and I trumpeted that as well. He was more advanced than you typically see for a rookie, and he has lost nothing shifting starting quarterbacks. That, to me, is the mark of a professional receiver, and I really felt like that's what Olave was coming out of Brian Hartline's program at Ohio State. It's like he doesn't care. He's like, I don't care, James Winston, Carr, whoever, throw me the ball. I'm going to keep making plays, and he does every single week. We called out Rashid Shahid in the summer previous series. And he is delivering as the number two wide receiver right now. He's got 152 total yards and a touchdown. We said, don't forget about Rashid Shahid. He's going to be a factor. I really thought as a number three, he is clearly the number two right now. Um, This is, okay, mark this down. This is historic. Taysom Hill praise. (laughs) It does exist. (laughs) I'm telling you, for all the jokes about what he gets paid, and I've made many of those jokes myself, he's a heck of a football player. Like, if you just look at him as a football player and you get over the, is he a quarterback, is he a tight end, is he a this, is he a that, he's just a heck of a football player. He's a really good football player. I feel like he's, this is the weirdest thing ever, like the second fiddle supreme gadget guy in his own division behind Cordero Patterson, who's number one in the NFL, and you can kind of argue that's number one and number two in that, hey, they can just kind of do anything category. He leads the team in rushing with 79 yards. He's one for one passing. He plays some tight end. I feel like he could return if you needed it. Like, it's just one of those guys where coach is like, I need something right now. Hey, Taysom, go do this. Like, oh, we're short defensive backs. Hey, man, you ever play safety? Like, we're going to put you in the box. He'd be like, all right, coach. Cool. It's football. I don't care. So I had to give Taysom Hill a little bit of praise. The Saints defense is continuing their exceptional run. Um, in the summer previous series, again, we talked about how good they were in the last six to eight games of last year. Dennis Allen called an absolutely lockdown defense for the second half of last year. They've picked it right up. Um, they've allowed an NFC South low 32 points so far this year. Um, that's going to keep them in a ton of games. As the offense kind of goes up and down production-wise or points-wise, having a rock-steady defense that really makes it tough sledding for any opponent is going to – if you got to win close games, having a very, very sound defense is a way to do that. So um, it'll be interesting. For me, it feels like the Packers in some ways have not had serious defensive tests, certainly not in week one. We all know that. Uh, But even in week two, we thought, oh, this will be more. They didn't see a ton of it. And now they're going (laughs) to. They're going to get a top flight professional NFL defense to go against. And we're going to see if they are more for real and they continue to produce against that or Oh, geez, when they hit the big guys, they slow down a little bit. You know, I mentioned last week, and, 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 I'll, and I'll keep this one brief, just because um, the Packers still befuddle me in many different ways. Like, I know they're good. I know they're good. Yep. But I'm still trying to figure out what they are. Does that make sense? It's yeah, like, it's I, like, I know you're good, I just don't know at? how. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, they're kind of good at everything, honestly. But at the same time, I was like, what are you? I still can't figure out uh, Jordan Love. Again, I'm still trying to figure him out. And last week I mentioned like, hey, he's going to go against the Falcons who are able to bring a hell of a lot more pressure than the Bears statistically. How does he look against pressure? They actually did a pretty good job protecting him overall. Um, 
you know, he's only, I think he's still only faced through two games, nine snaps of pressure, at least nine uh, passing dropbacks of pressure. Um, if you take out the ones on play action, uh, which was all three of them were last week because the Bears got nothing, um, but he only had uh, three non-play action dropbacks against pressure last week, and he went over three, zero yards and two sacks. If we include play action, he went three for three on those with a touchdown and, and 48 yards. So what does that tell me? I have no idea. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's still too small of a sample size. And so it's like I, I, I feel like we just keep throwing different NFC teams at Jordan Love, each more nasty than the last in terms of ability to rush the passer. We say, now let's see if he can handle this. You know, it's like he's, he's working his way through all the Pokemon gyms at this point. Uh, and and this <laughs> this week he's going against Cam Jordan, so I assume he's going to face more pressure this week than he did against Atlanta. How much more pressure? Who knows? Again, that Green Bay offensive line is playing really well, but I still don't know how to evaluate what is he going to do when things get muddy. I, I'm not saying he's not going to do well. I just don't know. We haven't seen it before. No, we have two games as him as the you know the the full fledged starter. And the line is playing very well. These are both true things. Not a very big sample size. And the Green Bay line is playing exceptionally well right now. So that's going to insulate him just like it would insulate any quarterback from a lot of that. And that's a good thing. You want that on your team. As a Bears fan, I crave that on my team. Not getting it. Uh, Packers fans are getting it. They're used to a very high level play of the offensive line. And and they are getting it. In terms of pressure from the Saints side, I'm going to give a shout out to Brian Brissett too. He's looked really good. He's and he's had, again, up and down moments, kind of like Howell has on the offensive side for the commanders. Brissy's had real flashes on the defensive side. They give me a lot of hope that he is returning to that form. We saw him as a freshman at Clemson when he was the top recruit in the country, and he just massacred people. He was a man among boys, even as an 18-year-old. Um, he had a lot of stuff going on, injury and other stuff last year off the field. Looks like he's starting to regain some of those. He can bite now. <laughs> he was just nibbling before. He can bite. He's he's hurt some people. Hurt him in the preseason. It's, it's tailed off a little bit now we get to the games that count, but I think he's going to be in there with Cam Jordan and the others. Like the Saints, typically Granderson, like we don't, they have not had a problem producing pressure over the years. Uh, so it'll be, again, a bigger and greater test for what is a very good offensive line, and we'll see how Jordan Love plays behind it. I know that this is probably going to be outdated by the time this episode goes live, but um, again, one of the one of the positive points that that I've been echoing uh, with Jordan Love, I was like, "Hey, he's looked mostly pretty good, like with no Christian Watson on the field, and Aaron Jones, you know, obviously got dinged up after the first week, and like that's that's pretty encouraging, like not having your number one receiver, not having your best running back, you know, AJ Dillon, not." playing amazingly well to be diplomatic about it and Jordan Love you know, still had at one point in that game a pretty sizable lead so that's that's pretty encouraging we're still not entirely sure as of the day of recording this we just got the injury report Watson is still limited with the hammy uh, Jones didn't participate at all Elton Jenkins didn't participate um, Bakhtiari just got a, a vet rest day off with that knee so like there's still murkiness in terms of will we actually get to see him with a full supporting cast anytime soon? I have no idea. But again, the fact that A, they're not getting blown off the field 
despite not having the number one receiver and, and kind of a banged up offensive line. And B, the fact that I could see them being two and one mm-hmm. with Jordan Love, even with all those injuries. If I'm a Packers fan, considering the expectations going into this year, I'm sitting pretty. That's great. Needs to be said. LaFleur is absolutely in his bag. We talk about McDaniel as a play caller. We talked about McVay after week one. LaFleur is cooking right now. The fact that he has all that uncertainty and he didn't have his, I'm going to say his top offensive threat because that's what Aaron Jones was, is for you know half the games, one out of two this year, that he doesn't have his top big play wide receiver. And they have been, you know, they won the first one. They've been strongly competitive in the second one. They did not look overmatched. LaFleur is calling, I don't want to call them masterpieces, but he is calling very, very strong games right now to keep the Packers in it. And look, that's a good thing. That's not like, oh, it's easier because LaFleur is good. LaFleur is supposed to be good, and he's he's been great through the first two weeks. Play call sequencing uh, is at a premium, and he's very good at it. Um, I think he has a, an excellent understanding of covered structures and when certain defenses like to use certain yep. structures. Again, are you like are you an early down middle field close team? Are you an early down middle field open team? Um, you know what's and, and he's played against this defense a lot, so he kind of has a good feel of like when do they like to bring pressure? When do they like to play coverage? You know when they do bring pressure. What style of pressure do they bring? Yep. You know, do they just bring four from weird angles or do they run fire zone? Um, you know, are they a team that loves four week? How do we handle four week? Like it, everything just seems accounted for. Yeah. And it he has very, all of these sequences built in yeah. for everything that they've accounted for. It's very even. It does not feel disjointed. It does not feel... Um, stale it doesn't hit those sort of doldrums where you're like oh man he just wasted half a quarter like it seems like plays have purpose plays get yards they are productive they build on each other they have momentum like you said he knows where to poke as a bears fan i'm fully aware that it's like oh well there's a hole poke (laughs) poke (laughs) poke any and he hits them with you know i would say frightening regularity so very very good play caller who is you know, operating at the top of his particular game right now. We started this with talking about Chris Olave, by the way. He's at 67 and a half receiving yards on underdog. I'm just going to assume you're taking higher on that. Oh, like, <laughs> jack that. Like, you were talking about, oh, I jumped the over on Jahan Dotson. If you took the over on Jahan Dotson and you don't take the over on Chris Olave, I, I, I take no responsibility. I wash my hands of that situation. So we got three hires so far. It's higher on Bijan at 70.5, higher on John Dotson at 43.5, and, and higher on Olave at 67.5. Spoiler alert, the next game is going to have not one, but two hires in it because it's Chargers-Vikings where defense is optional. Uh, we, we can assume that Kirk Cousins is going to throw all over the Chargers because as of now they haven't stopped anybody from throwing all over them. And we can probably assume that the Chargers are also going to be able to run at will all over the Vikings because the Chargers can run the hell out of the ball and the Vikings so far have not been able to stop the run. Again, this is a very bizarro Chargers team. They can't play de- or they can play run defense, but they can't play pass defense and they can run the ball super well. It's like the 
the weirdest Chargers team I've seen in quite a while. But both of these teams are nightmare matchups for each other in terms of trying to defend against each other. So, again, either of them will probably need to score 35 to win, and both of them will probably score over 30, I would say. I think the only safe thing to say about this game is something's going to break. I can, there's no way that both teams hold up all the way through. Uh, Dan Pazuta put out a tweet. Through two weeks, the Chargers are 32nd in defensive DVOA with a bigger gap between them and the 31st team than between 31 and 22. Is that bad? <laughs> yeah, that was bad. That, that is last by a lot for those of you that don't speak DVOA. I'm not saying it will happen, but if it does, if we get a Kirk Cousins microwave game here, the Chargers D is struggling mightily. Like, just look out. Just take the over. <laughs> like, whatever the over is, just take the over because Kirk, when he gets hot, is amazing. And this defense, at least in terms of passing, and that's largely what has dragged them down in DVOA, has been paper mache at best. Like, there's just nothing there. They have struggled mightily against the pass. That being said, there's a fascinating thing on the other side of the Minnesota offense that I didn't quite realize uh, the scope of it till I dug in a little bit more. The rushing attack is in shambles. Like, it doesn't exist. I swear, Kevin O'Connell took those pages out of the playbook and took them behind the facility and burned them. Like, for every football analytics nerd ever that has been like, what if we got a really good passing team with, like, a really hot quarterback and some great receivers, and they just threw the ball every down? They just threw it. They <laughs> never tried to run it. And everybody's like, yo, that's not realistic. Uh, it's pretty realistic. Through two games, the Vikings have 62 yards from their running backs total on 23 carries. Total. Like, that's their total rushing output for the season. Yeah, I think their total Jerome is Ford like, got more than that in one carry on Monday night. <laughs> you know, I think you add in, like, seven or eight yards from Cousins or something. They have, like, under, like, they have, like, 74 total yards rushing. It's, as yeah, an it's NFL 69 team for this total. Yeah, 69. It's, as a team, they're averaging 34 and a half a game. Yeah, he just doesn't even call it. And yet the Vikings are competitive because they have Justin Jefferson and they got Hawkinson and they got Osborne and they got, you know, they're just going to keep throwing the ball. And it's a fascinating, like, what if scenario where it's like, he was like, ah, screw them rushing plays. Like, I don't need those. Get rid of them. We're just going to, we're just going to chuck it up because Kirk understands me and we're grooving. And everybody went, yeah, like it was a normal thing. It's never been a normal thing before, but it's happening in Minnesota right now. So they know what they're good at. They're leaning into it entirely, and it's it's going to get weird. So uh, this is actually fortuitous timing. As we're recording this episode, EJ, I don't think you've seen this. Mm -mm. Uh, speaking of the Vikings rushing attack, Cam Akers is your newest Minnesota Viking. Yeah, this was, I'm not surprised. I hadn't seen it. Um, McVay made no bones about the fact that Cam Akers, no matter what, was not going to be a Ram anymore. Not if he issued a mea culpa, not if he came back, not if he, no, he was, he was done. It was quite clear. We're going, we're going with Kyron Williams. We're on to next was, was the notification and he was going somewhere. Uh, Minnesota needs help. It's interesting in terms of how he fits at least what they, I'll say what they used to run because I can't really say what they run right now because they don't run anything right now. Um, it'll be fascinating to see how they mix 
him and Madison. I, I at least think as we talk about building a running back room that it is good to get a diversity of skill set and they didn't just go get another Madison, which is good because they kind of have that in Ty Chandler, their current backup. They did get a different style of running back, so at least theoretically <laughs> they could use different styles of runs. Um, we'll see if they choose to or if Akers just rocks on the bench. We don't know. It was a swap of 2026 picks, which is about as close as it gets to just take him off our hands. You know? That is That's... a ham sandwich that has not been refrigerated. That's what yeah, that is. It's it's nothing. So they were just getting rid of yeah. him. Yep. Um, and we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Um, my my first note that I wrote for this game was this game is going to be fucking weird. <laughs> that's that's the only thing I'm confident in is that this game is going to be weird. I don't know how, but it will be. Uh, it's the it's the stoppable force versus the movable object, but from both sides. Um, the Chargers' best shot here, to me, like if I'm if I'm Brandon Staley, and I was like, okay, I got I got to figure this out because I know that that they're going <laughs> to score at least twenty four, and we got to score maybe in the high twenties to to mid thirties to win. How can I just keep them under thirty? Their best shot schematically has nothing to do with the defense. Their best shot schematically is with the run game mm-hmm. because they ain't going to stop the pass. They just don't have the corners to do it. Sorry. Yeah. Like JC Jackson is, he's not, unfortunately he has not come back from the injury in the way that we had hoped for. Um, you know, Michael Davis is great at certain things, uh, especially like pray, playing press man on the outside, like being that guy who's just like big and rough and tumble. And it's like, I'm I'm here on the backside. You're here with me. Let's go down to the mud and fight. Like that's that's what Michael Davis does. But teams, especially you saw it with, with Miami, teams have been doing things to kind of force him to back up and play in space and, and you know, run and with chase. a cross and chase. Yep. That's, that's not what he does, right? Um but in particular, J.C. Jackson's been been a, a pretty big issue there. So their best shot schematically is to not play defense. Their best shot is to run the absolute hell out of the ball and keep Minnesota off the field. Limit their number of possessions. If Minnesota gets 11 possessions in this game, it's over. They need yeah. eight. Eight possessions. That's what you can give them. Because maybe, possibly, you can luck your way into a stop on a couple of those. You give them 11 possessions done so it's it's got to be a heavy 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 run game control the clock run inside zone over and over and over again just like philly did until they until they stop you which they probably won't because they can't um and then even when they do stop you run it again just to make sure (laughs) you know it's it's got to be a long methodical deliberate drive um, because I just I don't think the defense can do it. I just don't think they have the corners to do it. So the only way to play defense is to not make yourself play defense, if that makes sense. It makes sense to me, and luckily the Chargers are a more balanced offensive team than Minnesota. They have a running game. They ran it exceptionally well in week one. They ran it pretty well last week as well. Um, the rushing and passing efficiency metrics are both near the top ten for, you know, again, throwing and running. So the Kellen... Kellen Moore experiment is working so far, which is pretty good. So they they come in with at least a chance to execute that strategy that you've laid out. And I I agree, like the more you can burn and burn the clock and keep the ball out of Kirk Cousins' hands, I feel like we've 
taken an NFL game in week three and devolved it into a playground game, right? This is just a big game of keep away. <laughs> That's all it is. Mm-hmm. The Chargers are just going to take it and run to the other side of the playground. Be like, you can't have it. Like, but okay, that's not fair. Like, that's that's the way you're gonna you're gonna win this game. I don't disagree. By the way, my uh, my underdog slip for this game um, is just fully accepting the fact that this game is gonna be utterly insane, and that they're probably gonna get more than eight possessions because, of course, they will. And this is gonna be like forty five, forty two in overtime because it's Chargers Vikings. Like, it's two most chaotic teams in football, right? So I'm just assuming that's gonna happen. And I couldn't decide between Justin Jefferson going higher than uh, 0.5 rushing plus receiving TDs. So basically, he just has to score in any way. Uh, Or Kirk Cousins at 291.5 passing. I couldn't decide between the two. So I just did both. So my my slip is just, it's, it's the first three games and then all in on Vikings offense against arguably, not even arguably, the worst defense in football right now. Yeah, if one is good, two is better. So you were saying if this game was a Dungeons & Dragons character, it would be chaotic neutral? (laughs) It might be chaotic evil, but to their own fan bases, both of them. (laughs) Yeah, I hadn't considered that part of alignment, but there you go. (laughs) Uh, All right, final game. Speaking of Cam Akers, by the way, his former team plays on Monday night, who have exceeded a lot of expectations so far this season um even if the the win-loss column isn't exactly what they want it to be this team's putting up a lot of fight and they have a lot of youth they're missing cooper cup and it it still feels like the rams are a very competitive football team and the bengals have looked anything but competitive in six out of their eight quarters of play so far this year i kind of feel like the bengals are in trouble here I feel like it's a lot more even matchup than we thought it might be. If we're looking forward to this one in the preseason, it felt like a laugher. Not so much now. Rams have overachieved. Bengals have underachieved. If 0-3 happens for Cincinnati at the hands of the Rams, yikes. Like Mm -hmm. The playoff implications for those of you following along at home who don't really understand why 0-3 is a death knell, your playoff percentage at 0-3 tanks. It goes to like half single digits like you're talking about almost zero chance to make any noise in the postseason if you go to zero and three so while everybody's like oh it's early season it's not that big of a deal teams that go zero and three do not do well in the postseason most of them don't even get there statistically speaking over a long period of time so if that happens and the rams are the culprits uh and they slay the mighty Bengals in week three that's going to be something else Interesting side note in this game, Akello Witherspoon's a bit of an X factor for the Rams. He's familiar with the Bengals from his time with the Steelers and preparing. He's played pretty well through the first two weeks. He's going to have to play even better uh, against a much better receiving core. If those Cincinnati receivers get cranked up, the the Rams probably the Rams' chances of winning this one goes down. On the Bengals' defensive side, they need to get their defense cranked up. They've only allowed twenty five ish points in the first two weeks. That's not terrible. It's not awful. But with the offense sputtering, they have to step it up and shut the Rams down. The longer that uh, Stafford stays upright and keeps slinging it the way he has been, the more the Rams' chances expand in this game. If they can heat him up and get him on the ground, they have a decent chance to get out in front and win this game. They've they've been picking up a little bit of steam. If that continues and they can sort of get Stafford's jersey pretty dirty, 
they, they got a decent shot in this one. If Stafford is clean and back there slinging it, he has been hitting microscopic windows. Again, no Cooper Cup, a lot of youth. He's still making it work, and he is back to that sort of very bold Stafford we saw with the Lions who would throw it anywhere, anytime, and be like, I'm going to fit it in and, and do it. And that is very frustrating from a defensive perspective, but um, he's not as mobile as he used to be. If you can knock him down a little bit, which the Bengals have not been great at so far this year, if they can get heated up on the defensive side to sort of help out the offense, it's really going to help their chances in this game. Uh, There's an interesting quote that came from Jamar Chase uh, earlier this week where he said that he, he really wants to go vertical more. You know, he wants to kind of get back to throwing down the field and hitting those one-on-ones. And, you know, their Super Bowl year, like their favorite play call was 989. Like they, they hit all these these huge, huge go balls to T and Chase. And, you know, they had either the tight ends or Tyler Boyd kind of running that middle read route. And everything was great, right? They were winning all these one-on-ones. And so Chase came out and said, he's like, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to get back to doing that because that feels like Bengals football. And he's right. That is Bengals football. Here's the problem. The Ravens were not giving them those looks. So Jamar can come out and say, please throw me the ball vertically. But when every single time you're isolated in a reduced split, you're getting a cloud corner with safety over the top. I'm sorry. Joe ain't throwing that. He's not. And like we talked uh, on Monday, like they had 17 different ways to get into cover two. They were, they had a safety over the top of Jamar all the time. Um, they had a, a, a third and long where they called one double, where it's like, we're playing man coverage, we're bringing pressure, and then our one safety is literally just on Jamar Chase duty. You know, they, they did that once or twice. So they weren't giving them the vertical routes because the Ravens know that that's Bengals football. That's when they're at their best is when they can hit those. And Cleveland in week one, and I get it, there was inclement weather, but they took a bunch of shots on, on go routes down the field. Uh, there was four to to tee by himself six total in that game and they didn't hit any of them they went 0 for 6 and part of that was because the corners are really good in Cleveland part of that was because there's a couple miscommunications in terms of where Joe was putting the ball against you know with high shoulder leverage versus low shoulder leverage you know T just flat out didn't catch a couple of the contested balls and that's why it's called a low percentage throws because you're not (laughs) supposed to hit it every single time yeah you're also not supposed to hit it 0% of the time, but they just they couldn't do it. They couldn't get any explosives. And so far this year, the Bengals' offense, without that explosive down-the-sideline element, which has been a hallmark of the Joe Burrow era, they kind of got nothing else. Like, the, the, we talked about it uh, on Monday. Like, they just called duo over and over again without trying literally anything else. They couldn't block Travis Jones. And they're just like, we're going to do it again. And they would fail again. They had like one good run where a, a DB lost contain and mix and bounce it outside. But other than that, like they couldn't run the ball consistently. And I don't know. I just don't get good vibes from this offense because it feels like they, they've almost over-indexed on going vertical. And when they don't have that, they, they just don't have the ability to do anything else. So Jamar asking for them to do that more for me i'm like that's kind of the the problem is that, is that you keep trying to do that and it's not working so uh, i i assume the rams are going to be honestly copying and pasting the defensive game plan from baltimore because if 
if we can just play a cloud corner over Jamar all day long and then just hope that T doesn't get 200 yards, you're kind of good. They don't they don't really have anything else. Yeah, there have been whispers for the last couple of years that Zach Taylor is really mid as a coach, but their Jimmys and Joes have been overcoming it, and it reminds me very much of a three-point shooting team in basketball that just comes to rely on the three and then goes cold, right? Mm-hmm. And when they can't hit the three, everybody's like, "Oh, work it down to the post." It's like we don't we don't do that. Like we don't we don't know how. We're just gonna call like inside zone. Like we don't we don't have a oh wait. And so I think those voices, if it continues, and I'm not saying it will, because if they get right back to hitting the bombs down the sideline, doesn't matter to whom. They'll be fine, and those you know the critics will still be there. But again, the calls for Zach Taylor would be better. Will quiet uh, if it continues, especially if they go to zero and three because they can't hit those threes. You're gonna hear a lot more of it. It's it's been a pretty steady, if low, drumbeat for the past couple of years. But if they fall to zero and three, and that you know basically tanks their playoff chances, you're gonna hear a lot more of it. Like we weren't doing anything, and he couldn't adjust, and that's going to be a knock. I think he'll survive that because they've had so much success and nobody's breaking up the band after week three, but it's, it's going to be a setback for sure. Zach Taylor to me is, I don't know. I, I push back on the, he's a mid coach. Cause I think it depends on the type of coach you are. Zach Taylor to me in terms of the CEO type, you know, the holding the locker room together type, um, you know, like Matt Nagy before he started calling plays where he was like the culture yeah. guy, you know? Yeah. Zach Taylor could do that. I think he's a, he's a good dude. The locker room respects him. He's very good at establishing culture and holding the room together. The schematic part of it, I don't, I've he, never really seen him as like a, a Sean McVay type where it's like, if all else fails, Sean can step in and be like, I'm going to fix this shit. Like Dable, same thing. I'm going to fix this shit. By the way, there's a conspiracy theory that Dable took over play calling in the second half of that Cardinals game, which is why all of a sudden they started scoring. But I I don't think that's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> I, I heard that as fact, so we'll see. But, like, it, it, Zach Taylor's not that type of coach. He's more the Dan Campbell type of coach, which is good. That's totally fine. But if you're going to be that type of coach, you better have coordinators that can do all the scheme stuff. On defense, he's got Lou. He's fine. Yeah. On offense, he has two guys who should, in theory, between Callahan and Pollock, be able to design a really good run game and you know have a really good offensive line, and they just haven't been able to really do either of those things, especially this year. Um, and so it's like, all right, now... Now what do you got? And I, I kind of feel like he needs his own Ben Johnson because Zach Taylor as the CEO type, like a Dan Campbell, is good. But Dan Campbell has Ben Johnson to do all the offensive stuff. Uh, offensive yeah. stuff, excuse me. And you know Zach Taylor doesn't have that, so they are kind of relying on Joe and Jamar and T to just be better than everybody, and that's just not working right now. Yeah, they've delivered on that in the past, but they haven't been able to. Again, slow start for whatever reason. And yes, we talk about the NFL all the time being a copycat league. Like the Rams absolutely are cutting and pasting the defensive blueprint and saying, until you can prove otherwise, we're not getting out of this. Why should we? We have to wait all the way until Monday uh, to see exactly what this game holds for us. I 
struggle to make a prediction on it because I can't quite figure out what the Bengals are yet. Um, and the Rams, I, I, I still can't quite figure them out either yet. It's still early in the season, so I'm not going to definitively say who's going to win or who's going to lose. But uh, I will definitively say you're correct in the sense that if the Bengals go 0-3, their odds of making the playoffs drop to 2%. So put up or shut up, boys. All right, let's get to the parting glass. Final segment here. Uh, Kind of a, a section for quick parting thoughts that we don't really have time to talk about anywhere else. EJ, what is yours? This one comes from a tweet from Jake Robertson, who is at Glory Day Sports. Ty J. Spears has higher yards per attempt at 6.9 than Christian McCaffrey or Bijan Robinson. Now, it is on 11 attempts, 11 carries. More yards after contact, 58, than Josh Jacobs or Ramondre Stevenson. More broken tackles than Najee Harris, Tony Pollard, or Derek Henry, his teammate. And more first downs than Austin Eckler or Travis Etienne Jr. Now, it is a small sample size. That's fine. But these are all really positive indicators that Tennessee got themselves a good one who is going to be able to be a productive NFL running back very quickly, as in already. Uh, So if you're a Titans fan, no, we didn't talk about the Titans this week. Take heart. Ty J. Spears looking like the real deal right out of the gate, and that is a very positive thing for a young draft pick. Um, at a position where Tennessee is going to have to have a succession plan, if not this year, soon. Uh, I just looked it up while you were talking, by the way. Add Ty J. Spears to the list of backup running backs that have outproduced the entire Vikings team, by the way. He's he's one of them. So. Yeah. Easily. <laughs> that list actually might be fairly long. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's not a high bar <laughs> at this point. Uh, my parting glass, also speaking of, of rookies that we haven't really talked about yet in the AFC South that have uh, looked the part so far. CJ Stroud has the most third down dropbacks in the NFL <laughs> for obvious reasons. I was going to say, not terribly surprising on that one. Not super surprising. They have been in third down a lot because their early down efficiency has been not great. I mean, most of their offensive line is hurt. They're at like 80%, 80% of their offensive lines hurt. So again, not surprising that he spends most of his time in third down. But in third down, he is 30 of 37, which is 81%. Including two drops, so his adjusted completion percentage, if we take those drops out, is actually 88.9% on third down. Again, most passing attempts in the NFL so far on third down. So he is the largest sample size of anybody, and he's still at almost 90% completion percentage. 338 yards, a TD, did have three sacks. I think all three were from the Ravens, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, 9.1% yards per attempt even behind a mostly backup offensive line with nico collins being his number one i love nico but i'm not going to pretend that's justin jefferson right uh eight and a half average depth of target so he is getting the ball down the field under pressure 2.56 average time to throw fifth fastest in the nfl even with an eight and a half a dot he is decisive he is accurate he is cool and calm under pressure um you know, early in the Ravens game, he did look rattled. Like, let's be honest. He, 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 be honest, he looked rattled. But in the second half of the Ravens game, and then he carried it into the Colts game. He just completely shook it off and and 
honestly looked like his Ohio State self. And he has the fourth highest passer rating on third down as a result in the NFL. So the Texans are not a good team this year. We didn't expect them to be a great team this year. But CJ being that good on third down, despite starting the Ravens game really rough, he did. Um, But looking this good on third down since that first half, I think is the most encouraging note that any Texans fan could hope for. I think he's looked the part. And I think that finally, mercifully, the Texans may have found their quarterback. It's the money down. It's the one cornerbacks quarterbacks are judged on. And I'd say the most most encouraging piece based on pre-draft scouting is the 2.56 average time to target at fifth fastest because that was the knock, right? That he was a tick slow, that he was very accurate. And yes, once he decided, he could absolutely rip throws all over the field. But it was that up. There's just a there's a hesitation there. It seems like they've gotten over that in the summer. And even at NFL speeds, He's getting the ball out. He's being incredibly effective based on all the other numbers. Great stuff. All right. I think that'll wrap it up for this week. Before we go, uh, I do want to thank our sponsors over at Homage for helping to make this show possible. I think there are still some starter jackets available, EJ. Is that correct? There are still starter jackets available. Depends on the style and depends on the team very heavily at this point because the most popular styles and the most popular teams are already selling out, but there are some. Go check if your team or the style you want is over on homage.com. Use the link down in the description or the QR code if we've got that up on screen. Um, Any purchase you make using those links helps support the podcast. And it's not just starter jackets. They have stuff for every single team, 30-plus designs for every single team. They have the official NFL license, so they have throwback stuff. They have current logo stuff. Like anything you can think of for team merch, Homage has it. And like EJ said, anything you buy from them to support your team also supports this show, and we thank you for that. Uh, We also want to thank our executive producers over on the Patreon, Marat, Consti, Andrew, Liam, Connor, and Mike L., Appreciate all of you once again for making this possible. Uh, Long, long show today, but uh, hopefully you guys learned something and and took something away as we prepare for a glorious week three Sunday in the NFL. With that, EJ, I'm going to go crack a beer and check in on this Bears dumpster fire because it's probably a lot worse now than, uh, than where we left it. I think I'm actually going to duck because Bears Over Beers doesn't start for two hours, and I don't want to add anything else at this point. All right, I'm going to go. I'm going to go drink something. Uh, we'll see you guys on Monday to recap Week Three. Hopefully, we didn't get too much of this wrong. We'll see you on Monday.